Well, good morning again. It's good to be with you all this morning as we are going to jump back into the book of Romans. Maybe you remember last year we were working through the book of Romans. We got through Romans chapter 11, and this morning we're going to pick up with Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1 and look through verse 8. One simple way to outline the book of Romans is simply to say chapters 1 through 11 are what is true. It is the rich theology, the rich truth of the gospel, and then 12 through the end is what to do, what is true and what to do. That's a very simple outline, but it's one that, that holds up largely with what God is, is showing us through this, through this book, that there is so much wonderful gospel truth that we have seen in the first 11 chapters. And now there is a definite turn, a therefore, and then a call to say, now how do we, how do we live? What, what does it actually look like to live out this call that God has, has shown us in and through his, his gospel? What does it mean to live as his people? How should we then live as we know the truth of what God has shown us? And so that is what we'll see together this morning as we look at Romans chapter 12. How do we live in light of all the wonderful gospel truth that God has, has shown to us in Romans? Would you stand this morning for the reading of God's word? We'll be reading Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to his faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, as we come to it this morning, would you help us see the beauty of your truth? Would we see what you are, are, are communicating to us today? Lord, would you give us humble hearts, hearts that are receptive to your truth, ones that are willing to see our sin, and also hearts that are quick to run to the hope of the gospel. Lord, would you bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, it's that, that time of, of year again where if you check any news site or anything, you're going to see all sort of the, the year recaps like the top 10 or those kind of things from, from the past year. And it's also the time where you get a whole lot of unsolicited advice on how to set better goals for the coming year. And I, I don't know if you're New Year's resolutions people are not. I'm, I'm really not. And there's a sense, though, that this passage is sort of geared towards thinking through a new year, thinking through how do we actually live our lives that's really what all New Year's resolutions are about, thinking through how do we live our lives? What, what really is the good life? And for most of us, we have some definition of what that is, what the good life looks like, and we see ourselves here, and, and we really want to get there. How do, we, how do we do that? How do we live 
our lives. New Year's resolutions aside, Paul this morning in and through Romans 12 offers this wonderful picture of how do we actually live our lives. All that's true, all we've seen in the gospel of Jesus so far through this book of Romans, how do we then actually step out and, and live this? Maybe you're eager for a new year this morning. Maybe you're still sort of dusting off the cobwebs of, of last year. Wherever you are, this passage shows us a way forward, a way that is full of God's grace, full of his mercy, and full of his truth as we seek to live the lives that he, he calls us to do. So how should we then live? Paul begins by offering this, this appeal. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. It's a strong, strong way of saying it. It's almost the same as an exhortation, an, an urging. It says, do this, brothers. He uses all of his apostolic authority and says, do this, brothers. This is what is right and good and true. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Now, what is that therefore communicating? We know if we've read scripture, therefore means we, we reach back. What is Paul reaching back to? Well, he's reaching back in the most immediate context to verses like verse, 11, or verse 32 of Romans 11, where it says this, For God has co-signed all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on, on all. It's this, this mercy that Paul is looking back on, the mercies of God. Not just to Romans 11, but really all of Romans so far he is reaching back to and saying, therefore, because of all of this truth, because of all that God has done, because of the mercies of God, I appeal to you. Now, I know we're probably a little rusty. We started Romans a while ago. What, what are these 11 chapters talking about? Well, we remember back in Romans chapter 1, we saw this wonderful description of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Paul is not ashamed of that gospel. It is the cornerstone of all that he will say, that the gospel is true. After he's declared that gospel, he spends the next few chapters talking about really our need for it, that we are not saved by the law, that we are sinners. He goes into great length to describe that sin, that no one seeks God, altogether turned away from God. That is his, his point. And as he gets to that kind of low part in Romans 3, he then points to the hope that we have, that there is faith that offers salvation in and through the righteousness of, of God. Abraham's faith is given as this example, this picture of having faith in God and one that offers salvation. And that faith is for us, that we are justified by faith and we have peace with God. That's the good news he's talking about, peace with God. Do we go and sinning? Do we just live our lives however we want since we have God's grace? No, we died to sin. We can't live in it any longer. Yes, we'll struggle against sin, as Romans 7 told us. We'll war against sin, but there is hope and life promised in the Spirit. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death. This is the good news that Romans 8 offered to us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. How could all of this be true? Well, Romans 9 answers, it is by God's sovereign grace, his sovereign choice, that he, he pulls people into this covenant of salvation, this gospel that he offers. That's the good news that we're talking about. We respond to that in faith. We need to hear it and believe it. That is what Romans 10 tells us, and we just when we were last in Romans, in Romans 11, saw this wonderful picture of the mystery of God's, God's work, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. 
This wonderful doxology, after all that theology, Paul goes to praise. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That is Romans up till this point. This picture of all that God has done. And Paul says, therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God. He sums up all of that he has said with this phrase, the mercies of God. It's very much how God acts. The very way he interacts with his people is by, by mercy, something we didn't deserve, but is, is given to us, his very character of, of interacting. And you'll note that it's the mercies. It's not talking simply about one individual thing, but the very way that God works. We see that most clearly through Jesus, but it's, it's the mercies of God. And, and, and that's not something that was simply past. It is something that is present as well, the mercies of God that are available to us all that is true of the gospel. And it says the mercies of God. It's easy to just say, okay, of course it's, it's God, but, but just think about that for a moment. What Paul is saying as he begins to tell us how to live, things that we must do, it is the mercies of God, the one who created you, the one who knows you. Sometimes if you've ever told a kid to do something, there's this sort of pushback, right? And they say, well, why should that person tell me what to do? Maybe a little bit of petulance, a little bit of sort of, well, mom and dad, what are you doing? But, but here in this reality, we're reminded of both God's character and who he, very, who he is as we are about to give instructions. The mercies of God. The one who knows what is best for us, the one who, who, who loves us, the one who reveals his holy and perfect will, that is the one who is about to give us instructions. Now, before we get into those instructions, we need to, to pause for a moment and, and ask this, this question. What motivates us to actually go and, and do all that Paul is going to, to talk about? Because he's going to get into the weeds in our life. He's going to talk about specific things, about how we interact with other people, how we treat other people, how we use our time, how we use our money. A lot of these things are going to be, be touched on in very specific ways. Why would we do this? What motivates us as believers? We are urged on by the mercies of God. He's talking about what Brian Chappell calls a, a heart chemistry that our response to what God has done is one of, of gratitude that moves us forward towards obedience. A theologian, Erskine, put it this way, in the, the New Testament, religion is, is grace and ethics is gratitude. What does that mean? In the New Testament religion, all the truth of the theology is, is a picture of God's grace towards us. Our ethics, what we do, is gratitude. It's what Paul is describing here. We are urged on by the mercies of God. See, most of us come to, to Romans 11, we read it, we rejoice, we sing the doxology, and then we're like, all right, now I know what I need to do. Now I just need to kind of get busy and start doing things. And there's, there's something commendable about that, of saying, I want to try hard to strive to work, to do the things that God asks me to do. That is right and biblical. But Paul begins by being urged on by the mercies. See, that sort of pull it up by your bootstrap sort of, I'm going to get through this, doesn't really carry us, it doesn't sustain us for a life of godliness. It is the grace of God, the mercies of God that move us and equip us to do the things that God would have us, have us do. Maybe sometimes we think maybe we need a, a different motivation. We need sort of to be motivated by, by, by a, a sort of a fear of God's of wrath, his, his punishment. I don't know if any of you remember the, it's an old movie, 1960s Pollyanna. 
And in this movie, there's this orphan, and she has to go to church every Sunday with her aunt. And the pastor, his philosophy of ministry is to scare the congregation into righteous living. And he says, if I scare them hard enough, I just might get them through Tuesday. Enough fear to sort of keep you through Tuesday. The, the, the point is well taken. That, that, that those sort of things, bootstraps are just sort of a, a fear of punishment, don't have the sustaining power for a life of godliness. It's the mercies of God that do that. Now, does that mean we don't work? No, we work out our salvation with, with fear and trembling. We, we do move forward with actual effort. Grace is not opposed to effort, but in Scripture, grace precedes that grit. Grace is what we begin with. Grace is what moves us forward. And yes, we fear God, but we fear God as the one who has saved us, the one who loves us, and so we approach him with, with boldness, with confidence. It's the gospel, it's his grace that motivates us and moves us forward. So if this is our motivation, what are, we, what are we to do? We see that we are to present, in verse 1, our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, if you've been around the church for a while, that phrase kind of washes over you like just familiarity. A, a living sacrifice, yeah. That, that's an odd phrase. If we just pause for a moment, a living sacrifice. These are words that, generally speaking, don't belong together. The sacrifice is, is sacrificed, is, is dead, is something that is, is consumed. This is a sacrifice that isn't designed to atone for sin. This is a sacrifice that is given in gratitude and thanksgiving to God for what he has, has done. One that is living, one that is continual. A sacrifice is, is everything. It's all-encompassing, given to God, and yet it is alive. We present our, our bodies to God. That word of present is a, is a priestly term of, of offering something to God in the temple. And what do we offer? Our, our bodies. Again, maybe somewhat familiar, but also somewhat startling. Our, our, our bodies are offered. The very bodies that you walked in here with today are offered to God as a living sacrifice. That means wherever you go, where, whatever you do, Wherever you take your body, you are a living sacrifice to God. It is all-encompassing. It is everything all together. It's a constant process. Maybe the, the closest parallel in Scripture is in Luke chapter 9, where we are called to take up our cross and, and follow Him. Paul is using that same sort of language here of a living sacrifice offered entirely to God, holy and acceptable to God. Now, how is it holy and acceptable to God? It's the, it's the mercies of God that make us holy and acceptable. And so now, because of what has been done to us, we offer all of our lives to God in a way that is holy and acceptable. Not earned, but one that is done in gratitude. Paul describes this way of living as a living sacrifice this way. It is your spiritual worship. Your spiritual worship. What does that, that mean? Maybe your text has a, has a footnote or says even in the main text, your, your rational worship or your rational service. What translators are trying to do is they're trying to, to get at this, this word in, in the Greek that has this sense of, of doing something that is fitting and proper. It is right and fitting and proper that we worship God. Because of all that he has done, because of the mercies of God, because of all of that, it is fitting. It is logical. It is rational that we would give ourselves to God. It's not all the word is getting at. It's also getting at this reality that it's not saying we merely sort of have the right cognition, we think the right way, and therefore we do some sort of math equation and say, okay, I'm going to worship God. 
this idea of worship is one that is all-encompassing. It is not just a perfunctory worship, but one that is from our very heart, our very self, that we understand who God is, and so we give him the worship that he is, is due. Think of it this way. This is a, an all-encompassing reality. If we think about Old Testament sacrifices, they're very much focused on going to the place of sacrifice, giving a sacrifice, and then that work is, is sort of done. We are now brought into this all-of-life sacrifice. Every part of our life, every part of our bodies offered to God fully and completely. This is, this is how we are to live. Our whole lives offered to God, our chief end, to worship God and to enjoy Him forever. That is, is what this is, is pointing to, a rich reality of saying, this is what is good and right for us. And so we offer all of ourselves. That means the moments where we're grumpy. That means the moments where we're impatient, where we're tempted to just sort of say, I'm just, just not going to do that today. All of our, our moments are offered to God as a living sacrifice. Now, this might seem exhausting. There's a part of us where we hear this and say, okay, I guess I'll just give it another shot this year. That sounds, sounds really hard. But remember what has already happened in this text, that we are doing this in light of the mercies of God, the God who gave us Jesus, who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is, is light, that this is good for us, that this really is the, the good life, so to speak, is found here as we give our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Paul gives us some more instructions about what this actually looks like. So we're giving our bodies in view of God's mercy as living sacrifices. Then in verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Now, he's, he's saying this in a way that doesn't imply that all of his hearers have fully conformed to the world, but he's saying it in a way that, that warns us and says, there is a real danger here of being conformed to the world. I think we need to, we need to hear the, the weight of what Paul is saying here. It's easy for us to say, oh yeah, I, I understand there's, there's worldly things over there. I'm not going to follow them. But Paul is, Paul is deeply concerned, it would seem, that, that God's people would not be conformed to this world. Why would he be concerned? Well, God's people have a track record of, of being conformed to the pattern of this world. This isn't a new command. This is the same thing that God has said through generation after generation to his people. When God's people go into the promised land, what does he say? Well, in a sense, he says, do not be conformed to the world. Do not be conformed to the people uh, around you. And Paul uses this language of, of this world or, or this age, this sort of pattern, as the NIV translates it, that is offered to us, that says this is what is right and good. This is the pattern of the world. And Paul is saying, don't, don't, don't be pressed into that. Don't go into that, that mold. There are things there that look good, but they are not. And maybe there's, there's a part of us that reads this, and we assume that we haven't been conformed to the world. But I would challenge you that there are parts of all of our lives that have been conformed to the pattern of this world. We've lived in the world, and, and we've seen the attractive things of the world, and we've operated as the world operates. Maybe just, just two ways of, of looking at that. The first is, what is your definition of, of the good life? Is it living sacrifice? Take up your cross? find your joy in and through the gospel? Is, is, that, is that it? Or are there parts of, of your definition of the good life that have been conformed to the pattern of the world? 
maybe think of this, this one. We all in our lives have a degree of, of power. We all have a degree of authority. Maybe if, in your relationships as a parent, wherever you, you find yourself, there are places where you have some power over other people. You have some authority. Now, how, how does Scripture ask us to use our power and authority? Well, it's always for the good of the people we are responsible for, for their flourishing, for their nurture, for their, their joy and the goodness of their lives. That is how we are supposed to use power. The world offers us a very different view of power, one that says, this is really my opportunity to, to get what I want, to create a world that is good for me and, and really not the other people. Where have we been conformed, even on areas like that, how we interact with each other and use the authority that God has, has given us? If we look at the church in the last few years, it's, very, it's not too difficult to see areas that we have operated exactly like the world. There's a part that we have been conformed to this world. The opposite that we're called for is this transformed newness, this transformed by the renewal of your mind. In English, conformed and transformed sort of fit together very nicely. The word here for transformed is one that isn't used very often in the New Testament. Only two other places that we see it. One is the transfiguration. Remember that picture where Jesus is transformed? It's a, it's a metamorphosis. It's a, it's a new reality, sort of seeing things as it truly is. That's, that's one. The other place is 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, where it says this, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into the image of God. Of, of Christ. Instead of being conformed into the world, we are transformed into Christ and, and His image. That is our goal. Our, our, our end is that reality of being transformed into the image of, of Jesus. We're not transformed into just ideal versions of ourselves. That's how most of us kind of operate when we make goals. We just want to be a little bit better version of ourselves. Scripture does away with that and says, your, your goal is to be transformed into the image of Jesus. That's what is right and good for you. That is what is best for us. And how does this happen? Well, it happens through the renewal of our mind. Now, Paul doesn't go at great length into what that, that means, but we see from other places of Scripture that renewal and change comes as we study God's Word and His Spirit works in and through us. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 11 and following gets into that. You can look that, that up if you'd like. There's this reality that we are renewed as we come and discern what is the will of God, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Where has God revealed his word to us? Well, in Scripture. So there's a sense that as we come to Scripture by the power of his Spirit, we, we see what is good, pleasing, and acceptable and perfect. Those are the things that we see by coming to, to his word and, and, and really seeing all that is true, and, and having our minds, not just sort of our, the way we think, but almost our, our moral consciousness reformed and, and aligned with God's, God's Word. In Ephesians 4, 23, Paul says that we are renewed in the spirit of our mind. That speaks almost of a whole way of looking at the world that is renewed and conformed to the way that God would have it. If any of you saw a, a news story recently, this will tie in in terms of how we read scripture. It was the end of the semester, uh, University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, a professor 
uh, put in his syllabus at the beginning of the semester uh, a little line that had a locker number, locker 147, and the code to that locker. Now, he buried it in the attendance policy. And in that locker, there was $50. And a little note that said, email me if you, you find this. Well, he got busy, and finally the end of the semester came, and he went to check the locker. What was in there? $50. Not a single student had, had sort of went in and dug in and found the, the treasure that was, that was there. Um, I bring that up because as we think about how do we actually begin this and, and come to Scripture in a way, that there's a, a part of that story that, that's fitting, that really there, there is treasure here in God's Word that we, we have free and, and ready access to to be renewed, to be transformed. There's also a little bit of a danger in that story in terms of sharing it in terms of God's Word. Sometimes we, we approach God's Word like that, like there's some sort of code in there, that if I just find the right little verse, the right little code, then everything's going to fit in. That's not what Paul is, is advocating there. He's talking about being transformed, renewed into the very image of God, the image of, of Jesus as we are called to do. That is what he is saying, be renewed, Towards, towards that. There's richness on offer there, and there's hope for us that we can, can move in that direction. The last verses of this, this passage, 3 through 18, or 3 through 8, rather, give us this picture of, of what does this community look like that actually does this, urged on by God's mercy, not, trans, not conformed, but transformed, at living as living sacrifices. What is that actually going to look like for community. And Paul begins to talk about this with this idea of gifts of grace. So again, he picks up this theme of grace. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. You notice three times there he's talking about thinking. That connects to the, the renewed mind that we, we now think in a different way. We think as those who are, are humble. Philippians 2 talks about this, that we have the mind of Christ among us, a mind that is marked by, by humility. That's where he begins. And, and how do we get this humility? Well, we think of ourselves with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, what does that last phrase mean, the measure of faith that God has assigned? One way to, to read that, that some, sometimes we, we do, is we see that and we think, okay, God's giving everybody sort of a, a different amount of faith, and I just need to sort of be content with the faith that I, I, I have and we'll all sort of figure it out. I don't think that's what Paul is, is saying here, because that's not the type of faith that he's talked about throughout Romans. He's talked about faith that, that saves us, that, that justifies once for all. The, the word here for measure is similar to the word for, for ruler it's, or meter. It's sort of a, a standard by which we measure ourselves. And so it's not talking about a, a different amount of faith sort of assigned to each person. It is the measure of faith, the gospel. That is what we are measuring ourselves against. And when we do that, when we measure ourselves against the gospel, that brings humility because we all see the degree of our sin and the wonder of the salvation that is offered to us. This is the community that Paul is describing, those who live serving one another because they know the wonder of the gospel, know the measure of faith that has been assigned. They see who Jesus is in their own sin. And they're part of, we are part of this new community in verse 4. In one body, many members, literally body parts, and the members do not all have the same function. This is New Testament way of talking about the church, that we all have different gifts that we, we need for each other. 
these gifts of, of prophecy, of exhorting, of teaching, of generosity, all of those things are needed for the church. We, we need each other. We don't sort of go off to our little silos and say, I'm going to go renew my mind over here by myself and, and, and be kind of in my little holy bubble over here. No, it's, it's in community. This is a community project that we do together. We do this in faith, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, and we use them. Let us use them. It says it's an encouragement to go in and use the gifts that God has, has given us, to try things in the church, to use what God has given us for the good of, of his church. One thing to note as we get into the, the details of, of how we live and how we act, it's easy sometimes to say, all right, so here's, here's the real sort of meat at the beginning of Romans. All the good stuff is in Romans 1 through 11. That's what you really need. And then yeah, kind of do your best with the rest of this. That's, that's not what, what Paul is, is doing. This isn't sort of a, a glaze that goes on to the rich theology. No, this is inseparably joined. That if we are a community who knows the gospel, we must also live the gospel. We can't just walk around and say, I've got a renewed mind. I know God's truth. If we don't live that truth out, those things must go together. Gospel theology must be met with gospel culture to show that we really know what is true and, and, and live it out in a way that is honorable and pleasing to God. This passage moves us away from, away from pride. All of these gifts are not sort of lifted up as, as something that we take pride in. Prophecy, they are probably talking about a sort of a, a proclamation of God's, God's word, is not done sort of in a way that is lording it over or, or in any way. No, it is done in proportion to our faith, understanding what is true. Another way that this could, could render is that we do this in proportion to the faith, to what is true. We serve, just as Christ served in serving. We teach what is true, what has been taught to us. We exhort in encouragement because the gospel is true. We are merciful. We lead with zeal. We are cheerful, all because the gospel is true, all because of what God has done. And this is a community project that we do together. This year is a year to, to, to live this out, to know the truth of the gospel and to, to live as those who serve. That doesn't mean just sort of signing up to do something in a church. It means our very posture of life is a living sacrifice because God served in and through Jesus. And we respond in joy with gratitude and we serve in a way that is full of grace, full of truth, renewed, transformed, grounded in the hope and the mercies of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, there is much in this passage that, it, that takes time to, to meditate on, to think through. Lord, I pray that we would do that, that we would consider where we have been conformed to the world, where we need to be transformed by the power of your Spirit and through your Word into the image of our Savior Jesus. Lord, would we live this out in our community, that we would not just know the gospel, but we would, we would live it out in a way that is tangible, that we would humbly serve one another and delight in doing that, because you have given us so much in and through your gospel. We pray this in your name. Amen.